Welcome to the Occult Think Tank. I am your host, Greg. In today's show, I have with me Mark Powers. Mark Powers is the former director of Jews for Judaism. I would like to welcome Mark to the show. Thank you, Greg. My pleasure. And in today's program, we're going to be trying to get through the 365 so-called prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament, or Torah and Tanakh. Okay. We're obviously not going to be able to do that in one day. Right, that's what I'm thinking, because there's so damn many. And I think for, I'm not going to go through number-wise in chronological order, but rather, in a sense, let's jump at the biggest one. And I'm thinking we may only get one section in, the biggest one, the book of Isaiah. Okay. They are, there are 131 prophecies that they claim are in the book of Isaiah. The well, first, there are lots of prophecies in the book of Isaiah. The question is, <laughs> are the prophecies about Jesus? The first one, it ha- they have Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Yeah. And it says, repentance for the nations. Okay. And first of all, I think we need to put a little context here. Okay, absolutely. Okay, so when we're when we're talking about uh, prophecies, uh, quote unquote, um, people have to remember that the Bible contains a variety of literature. Some of it is history. Some of it is poetry. Some of it is prophecy, and it's very important to determine you know, where this section falls, number one. And number two, when you look at a so-called prophecy, you have to give it certain criteria. Number one, is the verse being quoted in context? I mean, the, the classic example would be is if I stood by the wall of China and I took a little fortune cookie and I threw it over the wall to the other side and somebody picked it up and opened it up and I had in it something that said Luke fourteen twenty six, and they turned to Luke fourteen twenty six, and if I recall correctly, uh, Luke fourteen twenty six says uh, that in order to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to hate your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your wife, your children, and everybody, including yourself. So, in yes. other words, if I read it the way it's given in the fortune cookie, that in order to be a follower of Jesus, I have to hate everybody. Now, if you were to ask a Christian, is that what it says? They would say, no, 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 you're reading it out of context. So, number one, context is very, very important. Number two, when you look at a verse, is it in fact prophetic? Or is it something else? Is it poetry? Is it history? Is it in fact prophetic? Number three, since we're talking about somebody for whom the claim is that they were the Messiah, is the verse messianic? Or is it something else? Fourthly, does the verse actually exist? Because in a number of cases, in the prophecies claimed for Jesus, the verses are made up. And not only does it exist, but has it been edited and translated correctly? And 
is the, is there proof that the particular verse that's being referred to actually refers to Jesus? Or could it refer to some other person? Or could it refer to anybody in general? And finally, is the verse clear and consistent? These are the criteria that we use when we look at any, any verse that people claim is a messianic prophecy or a prophecy of that Jesus. And we apply that across the board. Mm -hmm. uh, and if it fits, fine. If it doesn't, okay. So, we're talking about Isaiah 2. Let me, uh, let me get my handy bit here. Is that Isaiah 2, correct? Yes, and it was verses 2 through 4, and I'll read those quick for everybody. And it shall come to pass in the days that the, mountains, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow unto it. Verse 3, And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, out, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the words of the Lord from Jerusalem verse 4 and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nations shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore okay and then the supposed fulfillment wait a minute that that's been fulfilled that supposedly that okay. was fulfilled Go for in <laughs> Luke chapter 24 verse 47 where it says and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all the nations beginning at Jerusalem that's it that's it supposedly that fulfills I'm not sure how that's okay. beating swords into plowshares but yeah, well, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll get to that in just a second. Um, this is clearly a messianic prophecy. Talking about the time of the Messiah, uh, because these are these are the things that are going to occur when the Messiah comes. Now, I don't believe that at this point in time, or any point in time prior to this point in time, that all the nations have flocked to uh, Jerusalem uh, and have said to, uh, to anybody, you know, let us, let us learn the ways of uh, the God of Jacob, you know, the Jewish God, uh, I think, in fact, uh, since that prophecy was proclaimed by Isaiah, you have the emergence of at least uh, three major religions uh, who clearly are not following uh, what is, uh, what is uh, in the Torah uh, or that which was given by the God of Jacob. Uh, you have the rise of Christianity. You have the rise of Islam, 
and you have the rise of Mormonism. Mm -hmm. uh, all of which, uh, you know, and, and of course there are other factions that uh, that have risen as well. But you know, take those three major right. three major groups, and you know, clearly uh, that has not happened. Uh, you know, proclaim from Jerusalem God's word. Uh, okay. Um, I, I, I think that's a stretch at the very least. And of course, uh, as you started to mention, um, the famous statement from Isaiah that's carved into a wall across from the United Nations of New York, they'll beat their swords and plowshares, spears and spurting hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Uh, clearly, that has not happened. Uh, in fact, there's probably been more uh, wars since the statement of Isaiah than uh, at any time previously in history. Mm -hmm. And it would be more of a stretch, because I've heard this used before, uh, to say, well, you know, because it's talking in the time of peace, that uh, Jesus brought peace to my heart. Well, you know, whether Jesus brought peace to someone's heart or not, I can't say for them. However, what I can clearly say is that Isaiah is talking about a time of recognizable world peace, one which we'll know very, very evidently, because when you turn on the TV or the radio, it's more fun with the TV, uh, when you turn on the TV, the newscasters are sitting there playing cards because they've got nothing to report. <laughs> Clearly, that's not happening on the news any night that I've seen recently. No. Uh, hasn't happened in a very, very long time. And, and in addition to that, I don't believe that it's talking about peace in your heart. That's what it says. They'll beat their swords and plowshares and not learn war anymore. That's not peace in your heart. That, that's clearly a worldwide recognizable peace. Right. So but a how of, that's a fulfillment is, is far beyond me. Well, a lot of Christians want to try and go to the idea of this deals with the second coming, that Jesus is going to come back and fulfill this part. The Great. Fantastic. So, again, I'll point out that my father is the Messiah, because when he comes back, that's when he's going to fulfill this. Right. That's the big thing with Christianity and Jesus is they want to try and act like he does the fulfilling of the messianic criteria in installments. And as far as I know, there's no payment plan. We don't plan. have a Messiah on the installment plan. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. In fact, I don't know of any, any verse in the Bible, and I'm certainly willing for somebody to show it to me. Um, I don't any verse in the Bible where it says Messiah will come, not complete anything, or several things, and have to come back to finish the job. Our concept of Messiah is he comes one time, gets it all right, and there's no return. Mm -hmm. Because there would be no need for a return, right? Correct. Correct. And oh. since the concept of Messiah is uniquely a Jewish concept, uh, unless you can show me where it says Messiah doesn't accomplish everything that has to come back, 
I don't believe that you can, can use the supposed second coming as fulfillment of anything. Uh, and again, as I pointed out, uh, if there is such a concept, or you create such a concept, then I'm happy to offer my father as as Messiah because um, you know at least he's got he's got more of the criteria down than Jesus did. And of course, anything that wasn't accomplished yet, when my father comes back, he definitely will accomplish it. <laughs> yeah. Now, isn't that also the aspect, I have a big issue with Christians that use the term Jesus Christ because Christ is a term that means Messiah, and since he Correct. didn't fulfill that, that calling him Christ is inaccurate. Well, yeah, um, of course I have, I have business cards from at least three people who have the same name, so uh, what can I tell you? <laughs> okay. But I also I also have a very good friend whose name is John Christ, spelled T H R I S T. Okay. Would it also be accurate where I've said to Christians that Jesus is their idol or their golden calf? Is that an accurate? Well, I, I certainly don't believe that Christians view Jesus in in that context. Um, you know, they, they have a concept of God. Uh, most Christians believe that Jesus is not just Messiah, but also God. Right. Wouldn't that and, make him an idol? I'm sorry? Wouldn't that make him an idol? From my perspective, it might. Um, from a strict interpretation, if this is their concept of God and it's not a graven image putting putting um, you know church statues aside uh, then it's questionable okay but to get back to these prophecies because there's enough of them Isaiah 4 2 is Messiah reigning which that is Messiah. in the day the, in that day shall the branch of the lord be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that accept escaped of israel yeah and this is exclusively jesus the, or is this something that could be referring to somebody else you see again you have you have a jump here mm -hmm. you have up here in that well this is a messianic prophecy and since Jesus is a Messiah therefore it must be talking about Jesus well I don't make that jump because Jesus is not the Messiah and while this may be talking about Messiah in the future um, it, it, it doesn't automatically mean that it's Jesus so it's clearly not a prophecy about Jesus okay then we have Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And okay. for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of these. I will give the book, the book chapter and verse for those that are going to be following along. And in the text portion, in the video portion, there will be 
verses for this up so you can see it. You can pause the video to read it if you want. But again, a lot of a lot of these prophecies, quote unquote, or so-called prophecies, are in fact uh, prophecies. But they're not necessarily prophecies about Messiah, and they're certainly not prophecies about. Jesus, unless, again, you're making the connection, Jesus is Messiah, therefore, since this is a prophecy about Messiah, it must be a prophecy about Jesus. There's clearly nothing in, in this particular prophecy in, in verse 5. Um, and, let's see here. It's talking about a vineyard, uh, good grapes. It's talking about the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Uh... I don't I don't see anything here in particular that um, other than the fact that it talks about something in the future I'm not even sure that it's a messianic prophecy because the big thing to note for the viewers and there will be a link in the description bar below to the biblepro.com where these are coming from the last mm -hmm. two the Isaiah 4 2 and this one there is no mention of anything in the New Testament that fulfilled it Okay. They're, in other words, they don't refer. They don't refer to a fulfillment. No. At all. Not uh, at all. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not the least bit surprised <laughs> about that one. But then there is Isaiah chapter six verse one, and it has okay. when Isaiah saw his glory, and it gives okay. John twelve forty and forty one as a fulfillment. Okay. And it's a fulfillment because your guess you is <laughs> verse six, verse one. Yeah, Isaiah six one. Just six one. Just six one. Okay, so <laughs> here we have not a prophecy, but we have something that is historical because it says in the year the king Uziahu died. So we have a particular year when a particular individual, a king, in uh, in Israel died. Uh, and, you know, this is Isaiah speaking. Uh, he says, In the year the king Uziahu died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Seraphim stood above him. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. Um, how is that a prophecy about Jesus? Number one, the time frame clearly doesn't fit. And number two, uh, it's talking about God. So again, we have a leap here. Since Jesus equals God, then this must be talking about Jesus, I assume, because I have no idea where they're, where they're making a connection on this one. Well, they're trying to say it was fulfilled in John 12, 40 and 41, and just for the sake of, in a sense, entertainment, it says, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes or understand with their heart and be converted and shall heal them. These things said Isaiah, I guess Isaiah, when he saw the glory, his glory and spake of him. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm again saying that this is not a prophecy, it's a history. It doesn't talk about 
something that is going to happen in the future. You know, prophecy is something that's going to happen in the future, not something that already happened. And this is this says that Isaiah is talking about something that happened in the year that King Uziahu died. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about something that happened in the past. And if I understand it correctly, uh, John is sometime in the future, and uh, King Uziahu existed long before Jesus supposedly existed, so I don't see the connection here at all. The next one is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. Now, here we have, or 6 verses 9 through 10, but here we have a bit of an overlap. Which, okay. And the next one is 6 verses 9 through 12, so in a sense, let's cover Isaiah chapter nine, chapter 6 verses 9 through 12, because okay. there's two. The first one is parables fall on deaf ears, and then the second is blinded, blinded to Christ and deaf to his words. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, um, you know, again, it, it, it's, there's a magic wand involved here in that they're, they're creating something that doesn't exist. We're talking about something that... Uh, occurred in the past. Again, it, it's history. Um, it's out of context. And, um, you know, verse 9, God says, Go and tell all these people, hear indeed, but understand not, and see indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of these people fat, and make their ears heavy, and smear over their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Uh, it's talking about a time when the uh, people of Israel um, have disobeyed God. And it's not talking about the future. It's talking about something that happened at the time of Isaiah. So again, um, this, is, this is not a prophecy. This is, this is a history of what was going on. Okay. The next two are in, from the same verse. And this is this happens frequently, and okay. there's going to be a lot more of like this. But Isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen, to be born of a virgin, and uh, to be Emmanuel, God with us. Got it. Clearly, one of my favorites. <laughs> um, here we have a definite situation of out of context. Because, again, remember that little fortune cookie on the other side of the Great mm-hmm. Wall of China? Well, here we have that little fortune cookie on the other side of the Great Wall of China. Because Isaiah didn't just write 14, he wrote chapter 7, verse 1 through. And putting it in context, it's talking about something historical, something that was occurring at the time of Isaiah, and something that was occurring in reference to a particular king. In chapter 7, it's talking about uh, King Ahaz, who was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, and he's talking about uh, King Uziahu, who was, uh, I'm sorry, Ahaz, the son of Yotham, the son of Uziahu, who was his grandfather, and it's talking about Rezin, the king of Aram, which is Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliahu, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. To give it a little historical context, number one, 
at this point in time, um, the nation of Israel was divided into two parts. The southern kingdom of Judah, which was David's throne, and the northern kingdom of Israel, which God wrestled away um, from, from the main kingdom. So you have a king in Judah, that's King Ahaz. You have a king in the northern kingdom, and that's Pekah. And you have a third king involved here, and that's a, an individual called Rezin, who is the king of Syria. So what's going on? The kings are at war with each other. And the king of the northern kingdom, Pekah, and the king of, Re uh, the king of, Assyria, of Syria, excuse me, uh, Rezin, have put together a pact, and they have come against uh, Ahaz, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And their objective is to overthrow him. And Ahaz knows this, and he is sorely afraid. Uh, in verse 2 it says, and it was told to the house of David, the house of David is Ahaz sitting on David's throne, saying Aram is confederate with Ephraim, Ephraim is another name for the northern kingdom of Israel, and his heart was moved in the heart of people of his people as the tree, trees of the forest are moved with the wind. I mean, he was, he was afraid. So God tells Isaiah to go out and meet with Ahaz, and he tells Ahaz, Take with, I'm sorry, he tells Isaiah to take with him his son, Shar Yashuv, and he tells them exactly where Ahaz is going to be, in this particular case, at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool in the highway of the washer's field, which is the, the end of verse 3. And God says to Isaiah, say to him, take heed, be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted on account of the two tails of these smoking firebrands. God is saying to him, don't sweat it. These two kings that are coming against you, it's not a problem. He says in verse 5, because Aram, Syria, uh, Ephraim, the son of Ramal Yahu, have taken evil counsel against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and harass it, and let us make a breach in it and set a king in the midst of it, namely the son of Khalil. So their plan is to overthrow Ahaz and set up this puppet king, that they control. They can control. And God says in verse 7, it's not going to stand, neither will it come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Raisin. And within 65 years Ephraim, Israel, shall be broken in pieces, and no more people. And the head of Ephraim is Shomron, and the head of Shomron is the son of Ramal Yahu. So God is giving, through Isaiah, to Ahaz, a prediction of what's going to happen with these two kings. Number one, he's predicting the breakup of the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember the lost ten tribes? Mm -hmm. This is the prophecy of the lost ten tribes. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So, moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz through Isaiah, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depths or in the heights above. In other words, to show you that what I'm telling you is coming from God, ask God to give you a sign, and ask anything you want. And Ahaz responds, 
I will not ask, neither will I try the Lord. They have to know something about King Ahaz. Of the many, many kings of the, of the kingdom of Judah and Israel, Ahaz was one of the worst. Hmm. He was an absolute sleaze. He brought in idolatry, he brought in all sorts of terrible things into the nation. And here, all of a sudden, he is getting on his high horse when Isaiah says, to prove to you that this information is coming from God, ask for any sign. Ahaz says, not me, I'm not going to test God. So needless to say, God gets a little bit bent out of shape. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so God says, hear now, O house of David. O house of David, King Ahaz, he's sitting on the throne of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. You're too dumb to ask for one? You're going to play games? <laughs> Doesn't matter, God's going to give you a sign anyhow. Behold, the young woman is with child. Number one, the word that's used here in the Hebrew is, let me make sure I've got it correct. My strong shows it as Alma. Yes. The word is Alma. This word in Hebrew means young woman. It does not refer to whether she's been sexually active or not. It merely refers to her age. That's, that is one thing I want to point out with the Strong's, and people will see, you'll see it before you, the how it appears with the Strong's, and it does have at the last virgin. Okay, so but let's get to that. Yeah. There is another word in Hebrew, and that word is betulah. That word means virgin. There's a difference between the two. The virgin, betulah, the word that is not here, can refer to a virgin who is three years old, 13 years old, 33 years old, 340 years old, 7,976 years old. It doesn't matter. She's a virgin. She's had no sexual activity. The word that's used here, Alma, refers to a person who is young, but it does not have any connotation to it of sexual activity or not. But more importantly, in Hebrew, there is a corresponding, you know, Hebrew is divided into uh, male and female. So there is a corresponding word in Hebrew for this word, which is young woman, Alma. The corresponding word, young man, is Elam. In Hebrew, the Tula, virgin, is female. Can you guess what the corresponding word for the male virgin would be? I have no idea. That's fine, because it doesn't exist. Because there's no way of telling whether a young man is a virgin or not. An old man, whether they're a virgin or not. True. With a woman, there's a sign. Yes? Very true. With a young man, with a man, there is no sign. Right. So there is no corresponding there is no corresponding word for virgin in Hebrew for a man. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, in the context in which this is written, it says 
the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the young woman is with child. She is already pregnant at the time that Isaiah is making this prophecy. How many years before the so-called birth of Jesus? Oh, my word. I don't even have an idea about the date, the time frame. 600 some all. Over 600 years. Okay. And Isaiah is talking about somebody who is pregnant at that point in time. And to whom is the sign at this particular point in time? The sign is to King Ahaz, who also existed some 600 some odd years before supposedly the birth of Jesus. And this is a sign to him. But think about it for a second. Let's say, for argument's sake, that she was a virgin. How would anybody know? Did she walk around with a gynecological certificate that said, hey, this is to certify that this person who's pregnant is a virgin? Right. You don't, because the only way, as far as I know, that they would show on the wedding night was blood on the sheet. Correct. But not only, not only that, you know, um, it's a sign. A sign is something you can see. Right. Unless she's, unless she's making herself available for everybody to see that she's a virgin, I, I fail to see how this is a sign. Because the sign is something you can see. But it goes on. It goes on here because this, in fact, is not the prophecy. And there is a prophecy here. Okay? So the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the young woman is with child. She's already pregnant. And she will bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Right. And that is an important one to note in this as well because okay, the Strongs... We'll come, back to, we'll come back to Emmanuel in a moment. Okay. Because we want to get to what the prophecy is because it hasn't appeared yet. But this is where it appears. Verse 16 then begins, Butter and honey shall he eat, this is talking about the child, when he shall know how to refuse the evil and choose the good, for before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread shall be deserted. That's the sign. The sign is the growth of this child, not the fact that he's born, but rather his growth, because that's something that Ahaz can see, correct? Correct. And so before this child knows how to choose between good and evil, the two kings that Ahaz is concerned about, that he's shaken from, are toast. That's the prophecy. And how great a period of time are we talking about? How how soon is it before a child knows how to choose between what's good and bad? I would say in chronological years, maybe five to six years. Maybe not even that long, but certainly let's take five or six years. So within a five or six year period of time after this child is born, these two kings are toast. And so as Ahaz sees this child grow, he knows, number one, that God promised that the kings are not going to succeed. And number two, is he knows that they're going to be toast in five or six years. Right. That's the prophecy. But I can go even a little bit further. I can tell you who the child is. Okay. Okay? Because in chapter 8, at the beginning of chapter 8, verse 3, and it says, And I came near the prophetess, 
This is Ahaz talking. So who is the prophetess? I'm not sure. Well, I came near the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Who would you su suspect the prophetess is? Well, Christians would say that that would have to be Mary. No, in order to again, fit. Isaiah came near the prophetess, right? And she conceived and bore a son. The prophetess is the wife of Isaiah. Okay, but in order to fit their Jesus, that would have had to have been Mary. But this is six hundred years before her. Correct. Correct. But we're going to see the same prophecy about the two kings coming up now. So I came near the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. So when it says, I came near, that's a euphemism for them having relations. And believe me, he didn't come near the prophetess, and they played tiddlywinks. <laughs> and she bore a son. And the Lord said to me, call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And for before the child shall know how to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Shomron, which is the northern kingdom of Israel, shall be taken away before the king of Ashashur, the Syria. It's the same prophecy repeated again, talking about the growth of the child before he knows how to choose how to... Uh, to say my mother, my father, again, a fairly young age, right? Right. And the two kings, the riches of Damascus and the spoils of Shamron, the northern kingdom, are taken away before the king of Ashashur or Assyria. And if you look into the book of Kings, you'll see that's exactly what happened. So okay. while it's a prophecy, it's a prophecy to King Ahaz at a time 600 some odd years before Jesus, and it's something something that was fulfilled. Okay, now we got close to, we didn't totally hit the next verse that they mentioned for another so-called prophecy. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 8, called Emmanuel. Okay, so let's talk about Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It's what it shows in the Strongs that I have, and people will see this before them it is showing that it is a suffix pronoun inserted with us, or God with us, Emmanuel, name of Isaiah's son. Yeah, except it doesn't mean God with us, but rather God is with us. And if we're talking about King Ahaz, because remember back in chapter 7, mm -hmm. um, they, they said that uh, she's going to bear a child and call his name Emmanuel. Right? Right. So God God is with us. Would you say that the information that God through Isaiah gave to King Ahaz shows that God is with them? Well, with that prophecy from as it is in Isaiah, it would be indicative of it being of the God figure being involved or with them because of the things that were involved that would have had to have been, in a sense, orchestrated by. Yeah, well, considering the fact that you've got three kings there, two of them are aligned against the third, who is a weaker king, and the two kings are not succeeding, would you say that God is with King Ahaz? It would have to be. Yeah. And so she calls his name Emmanuel. God is with us. 
just because back in the book of uh, Matthew, um, it refers to Emmanuel, um, it doesn't automatically make it Jesus, and clearly, uh, Emmanuel was not his name. Right. Okay, so the next is Isaiah 8.14, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Yeah, okay. That... And supposedly that is a reference to Jesus of some sort. They mentioned Second Peter, or First Peter 2.8, as the fulfillment of that. Okay. Which, I'll check that quick. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even unto them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereinto also they were appointed. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like what they did was simply look up the aspect, stone of stumbling or rock of offense, and found where it, where those words were, in a sense, repeated, and try to act like that makes it, that that links them. Yeah, again, context here is very important, uh, because again, this is something uh, that God says to, to Isaiah at a time 600 some odd years before, and it's, it's talking about Isaiah. And, you know, um, the, the, the role of the prophet Isaiah at the time was to point out to the people where they were messing up. And so he's fulfilling that here um, when it says, For the Lord spoke to me, spoke thus to me with a strong hand and warned me that I should not walk in the ways of this people. In other words, don't follow what the people are doing because they're messing up. Saying, say not, it is a conspiracy to all of which this people shall say, call a conspiracy. Neither hear their fear nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary. But for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a trap and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many amongst them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. You know, he's, he's warning Isaiah here um, not to get taken in by the way, by what the people are doing. Mm -hmm. Because God's way for them uh, is a stone for stumbling and a rock of offense. There's nothing in here that talks about the Messiah or about Jesus. Well, the next one will probably get you to chuckle. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, his ministry to begin in Galilee. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I'm, just, I'm, just looking at, I'm just looking at these two verses, and I don't see anything here that says Galilee. Yeah, they're getting, they are very creative. Because very creative. The, where it supposedly was fulfilled is Matthew 4, 12 through 17 however going by the base Isaiah 9 1 through 2 there is the word Galilee at least in the English as far as the King James 
where yes, it says in, in previous verse in previous verse twenty three. Yes. In where it says about the Galilee of the nations, and I'm like, wait a minute, what are they doing? Are they taking and seeing? Wait a minute, here is a word that is in the New Testament. Here is that right. word in the Old Testament. So this has to be connected. That appears to be what they're doing here. Yeah, because nine, nine, one, and two, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwelled in the land of the shadows of death, upon them has the light shone. You have multiplied the nation and increased their joy. They, they joy. they joy before you according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide to the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor is in the days of, of Midian. Um, you know, this is talking about a time when um, the Jewish people will be relieved of their burden of the um, domination by other nations. Okay. Now, the next is, in a sense, it's, a, it's apparently a good verse because we have eight prophecies. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Yep. I mean, eight in one verse. Wow. Yep. <laughs> they have a child born humanely or humanity then a son given deity declared to be the son of God with power the wonderful one PL the counselor Yates the mighty God El Gabor the everlasting father the prince of peace yep absolutely Isaiah and nine six talking, must be one that. About Jesus, I agree, and I. What can I tell you? <laughs> All right, that just. Did that just take the wind out of your sail? Uh, no, it. What was that? Okay, so nine six. Yeah. Okay. For to us a child is born is born, not will be born, but is born. It happened already. <laughs> right. And unto us a son is given, not will be given, but is given. It happened already. And the government is upon his shoulders. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong. Did Jesus rule a government anywhere? Not as far as I ever, ever heard. Okay, and his name is called, is called, again, present tense, not future, Teleyoaz El Gibor Aviad Sar Shalom. Right. Now, one of the things I, I'm sure they would try to say is that this is a, foreshad or a foreshadowing of Jesus type of thing that God's repeating with Jesus what this was and yeah and number one it's in the present tense number two it talks about somebody who's ruling a government unless you can show me the government that Jesus ruled um, I have to say that there's a problem but <laughs> let's go let's go further if we recall from some of the prophecies that we went through previously mm -hmm. Emmanuel um, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, 
and so forth and so on, Isaiah uses names of individuals to talk about events in the life of that individual. So when it says, and his name is called, Pelioez El Gibor Aviad Sar Shalom, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Minister of Peace. This particular individual that it's referring to, when he ascended the throne and ruled the government, why was he called these things? Because, number one, wonderful counselor, he counseled the Jewish people back to worshiping God. Remember, Ahaz had led the people astray. Right. Now we have a new king the son who was born, who is counseling the people back to worshiping God. Aviad, uh, let me see. But that would also be a major difference between Christianity, or the character of Jesus and this son, because if, at least going by the way Christians put it, God, Jesus wasn't trying to get people to worship God, but himself. Okay. Even though that's not anywhere in what he actually said, at least, uh-huh. but it's one, that's what they want to make it out to be, that it was, that Jesus is saying that he's the only way to God. Right. So he wouldn't even be doing what is in Isaiah that this son and so forth by bringing people back to worshiping God, he wasn't doing that. Okay, but let's let's go further. Okay, again, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, minister of peace. So I already said that he counseled the Jewish people back to worshiping God. Everlasting Father, because... God himself added 15 years to the life of this particular king. Prince or minister of peace. Again, remember we talked earlier about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom constantly at war with them, at war with the nations around them. It was during the reign of this particular king that peace was achieved. So Isaiah is using names to describe events in the life of the individual. You know, but you have one here that I that I kind of backed off on that, and that's mighty God, right? Yeah. Can you call man God? As far as with Judaism, as far as I know, no, you can't. Oh, really? At least it's... Because you're not calling him God, but God's name is within his name. For example, Daniel, Daniel. Daniel, God is my judge. You're not calling Daniel God, but Daniel's name contains God's name as well. Mm. well this particular king, his name was Hizkiyahu, Hezekiah. And what does Hizkiyahu mean? Not a clue. Not a clue, though. <laughs> means Hizkiyahu means the strength or the might of God. So Isaiah is actually using a variation 
of this king's name in this particular prophecy. Again, I don't remember any time that Jesus ruled a government anywhere, Mm-mm. but this particular individual did. And it says, for the increase of the, rel- of the realm and for peace without end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice, from henceforth forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts performs this. So he's predicting that in the future, in henceforth, on the throne of David, there will be peace. And that, of course, ties in with that prophecy from earlier about beating their swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. Which clearly hasn't happened yet, but will happen in the future. But this particular prophecy is about a child, a son, who ruled the government, and whose name encompasses things that occurred. It's also something in the present tense, not the future. So it's, it's... well, part of it about the uh, peace in the future is a prophecy about the future. The rest of it is nearly history about King Hezekiah. The next verse has three. Okay. So it's one, and we're at Isaiah 9, 7, to us, and the three are to establish an everlasting kingdom, his okay. character just, and no end to his government, throne, and peace. Okay, All of these fine. would be getting at the aspect of the second coming of Jesus, where he's going to, that that would be where his kingdom and so forth, that they're claiming is. Okay, but if the first part of it doesn't apply to Jesus, the last part does? Is that the claim? Mm-hmm. Well, his government, at least from what my understanding is of Christianity, is the idea is his government is in heaven type of thing. And Well, but, you know, again, that, that's not what it's referring to here. It's referring to the throne of David. And okay. the throne of David is, is not his throne. Okay. So it, it, is, it is the throne of Hezekiah. Well, some want to try and act like he is a descendant of David. Okay. So they want to try and act like because of being a descendant of David, I guess the throne of David comes with it. it... Got it. But you know, <laughs> we we need to go. We need to go at some point in time as to whether he's a descendant of David or not. Right. Because because quite frankly, he isn't. Okay. That just for putting it out there for everybody no <laughs> but alrighty we can you want to leave it hang out there as a teaser or do you want to go into it now well we can leave it out there as a teaser and see how many okay. if, if anybody bites at that one but then okay. we because we have a whole bunch in here There's, we're far from even halfway through Isaiah okay. chapter 11 verse 1 has two so called prophecies called Nazarene the branch and yep. a rod out of Jesus, Jesus, no, out of Jesse. or out of Jesse, yeah, son of Jesse, mm-hmm. and well. that. How the hell? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just oh, kind of shaking my head at these and being really. How the hell are they coming up with? 
Well, the answer, the answer there very, very clearly is um, we've got a mistranslation here, number one, because uh, I'm assuming that their fulfillment in the Christian Bible says he will be called a Nazarene. The fulfillment for those is listed as the first one is Matthew 2.23. And, and what does 2.23 in Matthew say? That says... And it came, and he came and dwelt in the city of Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Yeah. And so, the next is Luke three twenty three to thirty two. Holy shit! They want okay. Let's just get the general. That that is giving. It looks like a genealogy. Yes, right. that's giving a genealogy. So let's, let's deal. Let's deal with Nazarene first. Um, Nazarene or um, Nazareth in in Hebrew is spelled with a Zion. The word here in Isaiah, Nazar, branch, is spelled with a tzadi. They're two different letters. They're two different words. They're not related to each other. This is taking a word and mistranslating it so that it can say what you want it to say. Um, the fact that Messiah uh, would come through the Davidic line, uh, you know, Jesse being the father of, of David, I don't have a problem with that. You know, but again, it's that leap that well, since Jesus was the Messiah, therefore this must be talking about him. Um, you know, this this is talking about Messiah, but it still doesn't prove that because it's talking about the Messiah that it's talking about Jesus. Okay. Because Jesus is the Messiah. And the aspect of the genealogy, that's something, is that, in a sense, is that even accurate? Say that again? Is the genealogy that's given in Luke even accurate? Well, I don't know if it's accurate or not. Um, the, the genealogy in Matthew and the genealogy in Luke, uh, number one, uh, are different from each other. Um, as to whether they're accurate, they are as far as... Um, the, the Davidic line up to a point, um, but all of it really is irrelevant because it doesn't apply to Jesus. Okay. So, in a sense, we'll move on and leave that out there as a teaser. I'm sure there's some that'll bite. But okay. ne next we have two more that is Isaiah 11, verse 2, the anointed one by the Spirit and his character, wisdom, understanding and fear the Lord. So if the claim is that Jesus is God, you mean God is going to fear God? <laughs> I don't believe that this is talking about Jesus. You know, again, it, it's talking about um, about the Messiah because it's talking about the, the branch from Jesse. Um, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, 
and the fear of the Lord. I mean, it's perfectly logical from our perspective to say that uh, Messiah will be God-fearing. But how does God fear God? It doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. But the next so-called prophecy is in verse four, uh, Isaiah eleven four. His character. Okay, and he'll smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. <laughs> and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Fine. Uh, you know, again, I don't have a problem with this being a messianic prophecy. But just because it's a messianic prophecy doesn't make it Jesus. Right. And you know, it, goes, it goes on a little further. I'm assuming that the next, the next so-called prophecy is uh, verse 6 or 5. Actually, ver- verse 10. Oh, well, they're missing a good one here. <laughs> the, wolf, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf with the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the suckling child will play on the hole of the, co- on the, hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand into the viper's nest. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. This, for us, is a prophecy of the future when the Messiah comes, but I don't think it happened yet, number one. At least I'm not planning on <laughs> on playing with vipers. Uh, you know, there may be churches in the uh, in the Appalachians that do that. Uh-huh. Um, but in a lot of cases, uh, people die. Um, and I'm not willing to play that game. <laughs> but isn't that also tempting God in that regard? Yeah, it is too. But, in a sense, that's a bit of a side note. But, yeah, the next one was Gentiles seek him, Isaiah 11.10. Isaiah 11.10, okay. Uh, fine. And it shall be the nations that seek the resting place and shall be glory. Again, Messianic prophecy talks about the future, but because it's a Messianic prophecy, doesn't equal Jesus. Okay. Because, again, it's that leap. You know, Jesus is Messiah, therefore, since this is a Messianic prophecy, it must be talking about Jesus. Well, no, that's not the case. Because we haven't, nobody's made the case yet that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, other than the fact that somebody says so. Well, they say so, I say no. <laughs> the next so-called prophecy is Isaiah 12:2, called Jesus Yeshua Salvation. Mm-hmm. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Who's the salvation? By Isaiah 12, 2, it's God. Okay. I don't think I need to discuss that any further, do you? <laughs> well, and, it, and the idea that Jesus is God goes back to, what, God fears God? Yeah. Um, you know, but again, the, the claim can be that Jesus is God, but nobody's proven that yet. Right. In, in that regard, in the aspect of the proof and so forth, and since that sounds like what atheists say, nobody's proven this idea. Correct. Or this nobody's claim. Nobody's proven that he's Messiah. Nobody's proven that he's God. They're just taking verses here that talk about God or Messiah and saying, well, 
since Jesus is, therefore, it must be Jesus. The next, well, yeah. sorry, it doesn't work like that. Right. The next is Isaiah chapter 16, verses 4 and 5, reigning in happens, mercy. What happens to chapter 13, 14, and 15? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm disappointed here. 16 what? Verses 4 and 5. Okay. Um... Okay, what are they saying here? They're trying to say that that is reigning in mercy and that it's a fulfillment of Luke 1, 31 and 33. Yeah. With okay. And my, and my answer is, as previous answers have been, but this time I'll only say ditto. And to what was said before, yeah. Yeah. You know, again, it, it, it's that leap, because mm -hmm. Jesus is, is God, is Messiah, therefore, since this is talking about God and Messiah, it must be talking about Jesus. Uh, no, sorry. Moving on. Isaiah 22, verses 21 to 25. Peg Isaiah. in a sure place. Okay. And their reference of fulfillment is Revelation 3, 1. 22 what? The uh, Isaiah 22, verses 21 to 25. 21 to 25. Okay. And I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your girdle, and I will commit the, the government unto his hand, and I shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulders, so he shall open and, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open, and I will fasten him as a tent peg in a sure place, and he shall go to glorious throne to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring of the issue, all vessels of small quantity, all from the vessels of cups, even to all the vessels, and so forth and so on. And, and this is applying to Jesus how? They're trying to say that it's a fulfillment in Revelation 3, 7, which reads, To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that hath opened and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. So, if I understand it correctly, just because Revelation repeats the same words, Therefore, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. That seems to be how they're doing this, yeah. Okay. Um, to which I have to say, <laughs> that's the money. Right. Because well, I had remarked on it earlier that that seemed to be what they're doing. And again, it seems to be. When you were reading with Isaiah, I saw the shutteth and no man openeth, and I was just one of those, here we go again. Yep. Yep. Again, um, it, it, in context, it's it's talking about something else, and it's certainly not talking about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Then we have Isaiah chapter twenty-five, verse eight: resurrection predicted. Oh, goody! Okay, <laughs> Isaiah twenty-five, eight. Okay. 
Oh, brother. Yeah, he will swallow up victory and death, and the Lord will wipe away all tears from his face, and rebuke of his people shall he take away from all of the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. Yep. And? Supposedly. How is this, Jesus? Supposedly, it is a resurrection predicted and they have first corinthians fifteen fifty four. right again because it uses similar words yeah the, the problem is you know it, it doesn't it doesn't prove anything relative to jesus or messiah uh or jesus being the messiah uh just because it talks about something happening in the future so can we conclude that anytime that there's something <laughs> happening in the future it must be talking about jesus because that's what's being done Yes, or when something is written and the words are similar in the New Testament to what they are in the Old Testament, all these have to be connected. Yeah, I, I, have a, I have a bigger question. What? The bigger question is, if the words are similar in the Book of Mormon, does that mean that that's true? I would be even, and in a sense, let's go even nuttier with it. What, about, what if the words would be the same in the Satanic Bible? Well, the Book of Mormon quotes Isaiah or has Isaiah right. in it almost verbatim. Yeah, literally. So, therefore, since it has the same words, it must be it must be that the Book of Mormon is true if you're going to use that same concept. <laughs> now, since I don't think that the Book of Mormon is true, um, you know, that concept is bogus, and I doubt that there are Christians out there um, who are not Mormons who would say that the Book of Mormon is true because it uses the same words. I mean, it's an absurdity. Right. And along the same lines of the resurrection is Isaiah 26, 19. 26, 19. But just the aspect of because words are similar that that makes it true. I mean, we could use that and get absolutely zany with it and be, so if similar words are used in Moby Dick, does that prove Moby Dick? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay. So, oh, here we've got a dead body that rises. Okay. Ah. <laughs> uh. The dead men of your people shall live. My dead body shall arise, awake and sing. You that dwell in dust, for they, for the dew is as the dew on herbs, and the earth shall cast out the shades of the dead. Uh, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Um, you have to remember uh, what, what's interesting, and, and Christians seem to avoid, is that Jesus wasn't the first person raised from the dead. Okay, who, who was? Alicia, Alicia resurrected a dead child. So this dead child was the first person brought back from the dead who was resurrected. So um, does that make this dead child the Messiah? Hmm. Well, Christians would, I'm sure, no doubt, try to say that, well, there's all these others... But these others are turning out to be basically a pup of smoke and a grassy knoll. Yeah, okay, but nevertheless, 
we do believe that there will be resurrection of the dead in the future. Um, you know, so here we've got a passage about the resurrection of the dead. So what? Does that mean that anybody that was resurrected or will be resurrected is the Messiah? Does it mean that anybody who was resurrected or will be resurrected is God? I, I don't think that Christians would agree with that. Right. So while this is a prophecy or a passage about the resurrection of the dead in the future, it's not a passage about Jesus. Okay, the next is Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. The Messiah is the precious cornerstone. Again, you know, it, it, it's the leap. Since Jesus is the Messiah, uh, and this is talking about Messiah supposedly, then it must be talking about Jesus. But, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it almost seems that they're... The biggest problem here, mm-hmm. the biggest problem here says, um, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believes shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay by a line, and the righteous by a uh, plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the water shall overflow the hiding place. And your covenant with death shall be annulled. And your agreement with Sheol shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then you shall be trodden down by it. Uh, you know, again, prophecy of the future, yes. Um, but again, it, it's the leap because, you know, these are the attributes of Jesus. Therefore, this must be referring to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, 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 it's not. Yeah. Then we have Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, and hell, let's just do two at once, two, 13 and 14. He indicated hypocritical obedience to his word, and the wise are confounded by the word. Yeah, and why is this messianic? They're trying to say that this is a prophecy of Jesus. Yeah, or how? two of them. <laughs> how? Okay, let's see. As the word said, since this people draw near, and with their mouth and with their lips to do honor to me, but have removed their heart from me, and their fear towards me is as a commandment of men learned by rote, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work amongst this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of, of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. What's really interesting to me about this is this is the verse that the Mormons use all the time, a marvelous work and a wonder, referring to the Book of Mormon. <laughs> interesting. So, very, very simply, you know, when you, when you take a verse and you take it out of context and you apply it to, to anything, then it begins to mean nothing. Because if you can apply it to anything, as, as this particular case shows, then something that means anything to anybody means absolutely nothing. Right. 
and in that regard, I mean, we then have Isaiah 32, verse 2, a refuge, a man shall be a hiding place. 32 two. 32 two. 32 two. You know, again, any time I get to this, all I'm going to do is say ditto. <laughs> because, again, just because it, it, it's talking about something doesn't, number one, mean that it's talking about Jesus because of the supposed attributes, and number mm-hmm. two, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's messianic. Right. And Isaiah thirty three twenty two, son of the highest. 33, 22... And that says, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Right. So who is that? It can't be Jesus unless, as an earlier statement would be, God is fearing God. Ditto. Yeah. And then we have Isaiah 35, 4. He will come and save you. And we can toss in the next verse, verse 5, to have a ministry of miracles. Ah, the lame man shall leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. The habitation of jackals shall become a pasture for cattle and enclosure of reeds and rushes. You know, again, we're we're talking about something that's going to happen in the future, and just because it's going to happen in the future doesn't make it referring to Jesus. Right, and something that I had noticed before, years ago, in the middle of this, where it said about, but it shall be for those the wayfaring men, the fools shall not err therein, but there was something that, Oh, the, the uh, a lot of these Christians want to act like the serpent and so forth is a figure of evil and the in, in the habitation of dragons. Okay, a dragon is a serpent. If Satan is the metaphoric figure of the dragon and so forth, how can it have? the inhabitation of dragons with this shit. Okay. You know, what, you, you know what I'm getting at with the aspect with Christians wanting to have the devil is the dragon, the serpent, the... Yeah, I, I, I'm aware, and, and you know, my, my immediate response uh, to it is, you know, Satan is a good guy, so right. let's move on. Yeah, so it really... There's a whole lot that, wow. Yeah, you know, but when we're when we're talking about miracles, the lame, the lame shall do this and so forth and so on. Um, you know, what what does God say about miracles? Well, from what uh, my thought is, they're not evidence because didn't the and I don't have the exact verses for this, but the magic, magicians of Pharaoh 
had done miracles as well. Yep. So if miracles are the only evidence for Deuteronomy, a God... Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 13. Okay, so any time we, uh, we get to, to miracles, miracles um, don't impress us. Um, God says that there are going to be many people who perform miracles. Hold on, I'll give you the exact... Uh, a quote here. Uh, you said Deuteronomy 13? Deuteronomy 13. If there arise amongst you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, a miracle, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke, saying, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them then you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer dream. For the Lord your God puts you to the test to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God. Can it be argued that's what Jesus tried to do? I'm sorry, say it again? Can it be argued that that is exactly what Jesus tried to do? Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm coming from a slightly different perspective as to whether Jesus existed or not, but, um, you know, I, I would say that uh, if the shoe fits... Yeah. But that is one that I point out, but in a sense, getting back to, okay, we have Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 and 4, preceded by a forerunner. Let me just interrupt for a second. Before yes. You because take a look at Matthew twenty-four, twenty-four. You have a Christian Bible? I do. I mean, just, yeah, it has... Matthew Matthew 24, 24. Okay, that is... For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall grow, show, show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. Okay. So even, even Matthew says that there are going to be false prophets who do signs and wonders. Right. Okay. Let me right along Isaiah what? <laughs> 40 verses 3 and 4. 40 verses 3 and 4. Okay. The Lord cries, prepare in the wilderness the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it, and my response is, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then we have Isaiah 40, verse 9. Behold your God. Okay. Uh, bring us good tidings to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God will come with might and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and he is higher before him. 
He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them to his bosom and gently lead those lead those that are with young. You know. Yep. How about verse 11? That's the next one. Yeah, I already read that. Yeah. You know, you know. Okay. Then we have Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. The servant as a faithful, patient redeemer. 42, 1 through 4? Yeah, and that actually covers 4, because there is the verse 2, meek and lowly, verse 3, he brings hope to the hopeless, verse 4, the nations will wait on his teachings, and if we toss in verse, wait a minute, verse 6, the light, salvation, and Gentiles, and then they have a repeat of 1 and 6 as his worldwide compassion. Yeah, okay. And so there are six that they're claiming that are in Isaiah 42, 1 through 6. Or even if you toss in verse 7, there's a set that makes seven because the blind eyes open. Okay. Apparently they like Isaiah 42. Good. So... Let me ask this question. Who's the serpent? Well, the serpent we had established in Genesis was simply a snake. No, no, not serpent. Oh, serpent. Serpent. Oh, serpent. Okay, well, from my understanding, the serpent, isn't that Judah or the Jewish people? Well, um, you know, we have have all throughout Isaiah... um, certain indications as to um, who the servant might be. Um, you know, who does God throughout Isaiah refer to as the servant? It, it says here in, where were we, 42? Uh, 1 through 7. I'm oh, sorry, 42 what? One through seven to encompass all of them. Okay. So one, one through seven. Yeah. Yeah. Behold, my who I hold. So here we have a statement: Behold, my servant. Right. Right. So if we go back to Isaiah forty-one, which is just before this, forty-one verse eight. But you, Israel, my servant. Jacob, who I have chosen, descended of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth who called from his, and called from his remotest part, said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. So who is the servant? Well, that would be to be chosen. That would be the Jews. Yeah. How about Isaiah 44? Verses 1 and 2. But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, you uh, who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, Yeshurun, who I have chosen. Yeshurun is another name for Jacob. So who's the servant? Well, it would be Jacob, but... It would still Jacob. be... 
Jacob bore the children of Israel. Yes. Okay. How about 44.21? Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. Who's the servant? The Jews. In, uh, Isaiah 45, verse 4. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have even called you by your name. Who's the servant? <laughs> the Jews. Isaiah 43.10, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God form, neither shall there be any after me. You know, and, and on and on and on, uh, God redeemed his servant Jacob in Isaiah 48. Um, you are my servant Israel in Isaiah 49. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so forth and so on. So, because that encompasses a whole lot if you, in a sense, for those that are actually looking at the list, there's from 208 down through 219, that's all Isaiah 42, 43, 44, 45, 48, 49, and it's all the same thing. It would all be a bunch of dittos. Yep. That's correct. And then, in a sense, jumping, Isaiah 50, verses 3 through, oh, my word, 3 through 7, or, yeah, because there are a bunch in here, too. Isaiah 50? 50, yeah. Or is, is this, heaven is clothed in black at his humiliation? Okay. Uh, he started with verse, it, um, verse 50, it starts at verse 3 for those, yeah, um, and goes through verse 7. Right, and, and how is this talking about Jesus? Okay, the verse 3, that one is... They tried to say Luke 23, verses 44 and 45. And let me what? jump there quick. And, and it was about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened. Okay. And, because it mentions darkness, it's referring to Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. That is a, just a, a blatantly absurd because it's one, I think darkness is mentioned in different Stephen King novels. I guess that makes them about Jesus. I knew that. <laughs> I mean, darkness might even, even have been... Read, even though I didn't read Stephen King, I knew that. Uh, there was one Star Trek, I think it was Into the Darkness or something, and since it has darkness, that has to be about Jesus. That's right. I mean, this is absurd. Well, you know, it, it certainly, it's certainly stretching it, that's for sure. <laughs> stretching it is a, that's an understatement. And then in Isaiah 52, 13, the servant exalted, we've already established the servant is the Jewish people. 
Well, you know, that, that's interesting because 52.13 leads into 53, and I assume that 53 on your list oh, of my uh, word. hit parade, the list of the hit parade, all of Isaiah 53 refers oh. to Jesus, correct? Holy shit, Isaiah 53 is encompassing from, just to give a, that goes just the Isaiah 53 from 234 down to 270. Yep. And? And they're trying to, I guess they're trying to say, we. I guess we should talk about Isaiah 53, obviously, because... Yeah. We, we have to talk about Isaiah 53, but the discussion about Isaiah 53 is a very, very long and involved discussion. Okay, so that um, would be the next... It, yeah, suffice it to say that, number one, Isaiah 53 doesn't begin at 53.1. It begins at 52.13 when it talks about the servant. Okay. Uh, this, is, this is commonly called the suffering servant. And... Um, Either all of it applies to Jesus or none of it applies to Jesus because it's a cohesive a cohesive description. Okay. So if there's just one thing in here that doesn't apply to Jesus, then the whole thing doesn't apply to Jesus. And using it as a teaser, let me just say mm -hmm. that it doesn't apply to Jesus. Right, and that's one. We are going to cut this video at that one, at that spot, and... For those that are looking on the website that is in the description bar below, you'll see we didn't even get through all of Isaiah, obviously, because we're at 53. Right. We right. made it maybe halfway through. Correct. And but Isaiah, Isaiah 53 is definitely a long discussion okay. um, and a detailed discussion, and it, it, really, it really requires... Um, a verse-by-verse, verse, almost word-by-word um, perusal, because in a lot of cases, in, in cases of uh, Christians that I have met who have tried to convert me, um, you know, they, they look at me with incredulity and say, have you ever read Isaiah 53? <laughs> uh, and I assure them that I have. The problem is that uh, Christians will claim that the Jews don't read Isaiah 53 because they know exactly what's there and they're afraid to read it. And they will point to the fact that in the synagogue we read Isaiah 49, 50, 51, 52, 54, 55, 56, but we don't read Isaiah 53 in the synagogue. The problem is that that just reveals the ignorance of the individual who's making the statement. Because you have to understand historically how the readings in the synagogues came about. In Jewish history, there was a time when we were forbidden under the pain of death from reading the Torah, the five books of Moses. So the rabbis went through, and they selected from the books of the prophets because the books of the prophets were just considered literature. They selected sections from the books of the prophets that had a relationship to what the Torah reading would have been at that particular point if we were permitted to read it. So, for example, when we read about the construction 
of the portable tabernacle in the wilderness, the corresponding reading from the prophets, which we call the Haftorah, the corresponding reading from the, from the prophets refers to the building of the temple in Jerusalem. So there's a relationship between the two. Why don't we read from Isaiah 53? The answer is really very, very simple. It's not a plot on the part of the rabbis to keep us from knowing what it says, because believe me, we read Isaiah 53. We don't, uh, when we read the book of Isaiah, and we do read the book of Isaiah, we don't skip over chapter 53. Um, it just had no relationship to anything in the Torah, and therefore, along with 82% of the rest of the books of the prophets, was not chosen as a section to be read in the synagogue. We don't avoid Isaiah 53 because we know it's there, and therefore we don't want people to know. It just wasn't chosen because it had no relation to anything in the Torah. Okay, but the but Isaiah 53... It's a canard that's, that's put up by people who are ignorant of Jewish history, who have no idea what's going on, and we're not afraid of Isaiah 53. We read Isaiah 53, and when we get together next time, we'll go through yes. Isaiah 53. Because the one thing I can tell you, again, as a teaser, whoever Isaiah 53 is talking about, the one person I can assure you, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that it's not talking about, is Jesus. <laughs> All righty, well, that is one that will be in the next interview. All right, it has been a pleasure. You've been listening to The Occult Think Tank with Greg. Feel free to leave your thoughts and comments in the comment section below. Later, people.